Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live episode of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of, of course, the 90 Min family. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Hope you've all had a brilliant Christmas. Um, hope it was a good one for you all. Hope you ate loads, drank loads, um, and spent lots of time with important people because that's what it's really about, right? It isn't um, about the gifts. It isn't about how much you spend. It isn't about how many posts you put on Instagram. It's about spending quality time with your loved ones. And um, I've certainly done plenty of that over the last few days. As I said to you guys on uh, Twitter yesterday, or X as it's now owned, uh, now known, I was planning to do a Boxing Day podcast. I was planning to do some kind of Boxing Day special. And do you know what? I got up in the morning with all the intentions in the world of jumping on and podcasting. And then I was sitting there and and my son was playing with his, uh, his little wrestling ring and um, with his little figures, which he absolutely loves. And he was asking me to play. And you know what? I thought to myself, I was going to go into the man cave and sit down and record a podcast. And I just thought to myself, no, because I, I don't normally get the chance and the opportunity to do this. And I just thought, you know, Christmas is about family, number one. And so I am going to put that to one side, put work to one side for a minute and go and sit and enjoy that quality time. And um, of course, five minutes into playing, he got annoyed with me because uh, I executed a rock bottom with my rock little figure on his John Cena figure. And uh, and it upset him. And then he said he didn't want to play with me anymore anyway. So I probably could have done the podcast, but the intention <laughs> to do the right thing uh, was certainly there. Let me say a few hellos uh, to those of you in the chat. Uh, great to see so many of you with us. We've got Afsar. Uh, we've got Moss. We've got Steve. Uh, we've got Benjamin, who says, loving these later starts, Harry. 10 a.m. for me in Utah. Happy New Year, everyone. And come on, you gunners. Yep, I will wish you all a happy new year when we get there. Um, don't worry, that is coming as well. Um, Paul Nell says, hope everyone in the chat had a great holiday. Uh, we've got Pika Who, we've got Bad Boy, uh, we've got Asaf who says, there's nothing like listening to Harry while doing the dishes. There you go. That's a new one. I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> uh, Edison says, uh, blessings to you and your family, Harry. I would like to see Enketia on top with Jesus on the right and Martinelli on the left, Odegaard in the left eight, Saka in the right eight and Rice in the six. That's a bit of a, uh, a shuffling of the pack. Um, we've also got uh, Times of JR says, good afternoon. Hope you enjoyed your Christmas. Don't forget everyone to smash that like button. It costs a, nothing and means a lot to this legend. It does indeed. Thank you uh, so, so much. Okay, this is the big match preview and we are going to focus on that game between Arsenal and West Ham United, which is due to take place at Emirates Stadium on Thursday evening. I think this is going to be a really, really tough game. I do. I think West Ham... Um, are a very, very solid outfit. I think they've got a lot of players capable of causing us problems and hurting us. And we'll get onto that section of the preview a little bit later on. But I am not, I'm not going to say, uh, look, I'm never overconfident going into Premier League games. You will know that by now. You know that I often say that anything can happen in this league and that you've got to be at your best or at least close to it if you want to ensure that you don't get caught cold and that you don't, end up on the wrong end of one of those big surprises, at least on paper. I don't see West Ham as one of those sides that would, if they did get a result off us, be springing a big surprise. I think, obviously, they come into this off the back of a good result against Manchester United, albeit a poor Manchester United side on the day and a Manchester United side that have been poor for large periods this season. They were much better last night, with the exception of, what, the first half an hour. 
uh, turning that game around against Aston Villa, who clearly have those defensive deficiencies that I was talking about after we played them. The Villa fans wouldn't have it. Lots of them came at me on social media. But I think last night was the prime example of everything that I'd spoken about in terms of the spaces they leave in behind. And that if you are direct and you're threatening and you've got players that are willing to take the ball on and be direct and run at people and, and try play off the shoulder, if you time those runs right, you can cause them all sorts of problems. It's a high reward, but a very high risk strategy that Unai Emery employs there. And the reason I think we all know it so well is because we saw him apply it at Arsenal at times. There's two versions of Unai Emery. This isn't an Aston Villa podcast, but I just want to quickly make this point. There are two versions of Unai Emery. There's the Unai Emery, who's a pragmatist, who, when managing Sevilla and Villarreal in European competition, recognised that he didn't have the players to play this really progressive style of football. And often his teams would bunker down and make sure that they got results by being solid, hard to beat, and all the rest of it. And then there's the other Unai Emery, the Unai Emery we saw at PSG, the Unai Emery we saw at Arsenal, and the Unai Emery we're now seeing at Aston Villa, where he looks around and goes, actually, I do have the players to play what I can only assume is his preferred style of play. But, you know, that is obviously, um, you know, really nice in theory and really good on the eye and all the rest of it, but it does leave his teams vulnerable. And I think we've seen that time and time again. But anyway, let's... Um, Let's get into uh, the big match preview because it's Arsenal versus West Ham. And that is what we're really here to talk about. We begin with some of the key points from Mikel Arteta's press conference. He faced the media earlier this afternoon ahead of this one. Here are some of the key points. He said that Thomas Partey and Takahiro Tomiyasu remain unavailable despite some contradicting reports, particularly with regards to Thomas Partey doing the rounds recently. He does say there is a chance that they will be fit for international duty. Of course, the Asian Cup takes place in January, as does the African Cup of Nations uh, that Thomas Partey is expected, if fit, of course, to be involved in. He also clarified that talks are ongoing between Arsenal and the respective federations regarding the dates that the players would be released, of course, if they are past fit to go and take place in that competition. Now, we did see some reports yesterday, as I say, suggesting that Thomas Partey was very close, that he'd been training with the team. Mikel Arteta denied that. I'm not saying that this is the case because the truth is I don't know. But there's a part of me that thinks if I were Arsenal, maybe I would delay this slightly to kind of maybe just give the federations the the sort of impression that it is touch and go in the hope that maybe they'll leave those guys behind, get on with their tournament preparations, and then we can kind of ease them back into peak condition over the course of when those tournaments would have taken place. And come the middle of January, you know, those guys are ready to go and ready to come into the side and help us. Obviously, that doesn't factor in the player's desire and what the player wants. And often players do want to represent their countries at these types of tournaments. And you have to find that balance, don't you, as Arsenal Football Club? You have to do what you, what's right for you, what works for you. You have to protect your own interests, but you also have a responsibility to the player that if they are fit and available and it is possible that you're going to let them go on those international trips and, um, and make a name for themselves uh, in their nations and on their respective continents. So see, it's difficult, isn't it? Mikel Arteta talking about the team going into tomorrow's game. He said, we're a bit short. Um, highlighted that the Kai Havertz suspension adds to the injuries that we have. And uh, we are now around about, what, 
five players light at the moment, which is making it difficult. You know, you would have looked at this maybe three or four months ago and you would have gone, Kai Havertz out, okay, Fabio Vieira comes in, but he's obviously not fit and is out with a problem. Emil Smith-Rowe is back in the picture, but is he fit enough to start a game in the Premier League like this? That is up for debate. We'll come on to what I would do in that situation. You know, would Leandro Trossard be the one that Mikel turns to? Maybe, but does that sort of slightly upset the balance in our midfield against a side that have a very strong, combative um, and physically dominant midfield? We'll get onto all of that in a bit. He was asked, of course, about the January transfer window, which now is just days away. And don't worry, we're going to be keeping you right across all the latest reports um, as and when they are released uh, throughout the month of January. Uh, so make sure you're subscribed if you're not already. That way you'll never miss a beat in that sense. Um, but Mikel Arteta refused to kind of be drawn on any of that talk. And he said, we're focused on tomorrow's game, Fulham away, which is a game that we play, of course, on New Year's Eve and the FA Cup rather than transfers at the moment. Um, talk about Martin Odegaard, uh, Mikel Arteta making the point that Arsenal have used Martin Odegaard in recent weeks to cater to the team's needs, which kind of suggests that what's happened is rather than the focus being on how we can get the best out of Martin Odegaard all the time, we've had to ask him, um, you know, at times to... Uh, you know, muck in and do something a little bit different and be more defensively minded and be more responsible in terms of his positioning in order to deal with specific threats brought to us by an opposition. I think Liverpool was probably an example of that, where you just, you know, watching the game back, Martin Odegaard's starting position was just a little bit deeper than it normally is. He was also asked about Gabriel Martinelli. There's been a lot of talk around the young Brazilian lately. Has he dropped off in terms of his level of performances? Is it a problem? Or is this something that is just part and parcel of the game? And, and is it just one of those situations where a young lad is just finding it a little bit difficult at the moment to hit his peak level? He's not been bad. Like, he's not been terrible. He's not been poor. He's not been a liability. You know, he's still got that directness, that explosive pace. And that ability to pin back a fullback and almost, um, you know, have teams sort of running back towards their own goal um, at every given opportunity. But in terms of in front of goal, he's not quite been at it, you would argue. And some of his decision making in and around the box has not been quite right. Maybe he's not releasing the ball early enough. You know, there is things that you could level at Gabriel Martinelli, constructive criticisms. Um, but I don't think that Mikel Arteta is too concerned about it because he said it's not anything to do with a, a lack of confidence or effort. He did say he'd like to add to the squad, of course, in January. You know, he said he'll always welcome an opportunity to help the squad, but it's a tricky market. And we know that with January, right? We know that January tends to be more of a reactive market than a proactive market. It's very rare that teams do their big, significant bits of business during a January window. There is the chance that, you know, if you've got someone in your sights for the summer, that maybe you can bring those deals forward, speed up the process. If you chuck a bit of money on top and and, and sort of accelerate those negotiations and, you know, that can mean that you're still adhering to your overall plan. But at the same time, you're addressing a problem in the here and now. So there is maybe a possibility that Arsenal are going to do that kind of thing. But there was also a piece that went out on The Athletic this morning uh, from Gunner blog James McNicholas, in which he said he doesn't think a marquee midfielder is something that Arsenal are going to do this January. And I tend to agree with that. But look, we're going to turn our attention to transfers over the coming days. So I don't want to dwell too much on that. This is the big match preview. 
and we're focusing, of course, on that game against West Ham United. Let's begin then our statistical preview. Head-to-head between Arsenal and West Ham. 54 meetings in the Premier League between these two clubs. Arsenal have won 35. There have been 11 draws and West Ham have just eight wins. Um, It's interesting that five of their eight wins have come away from home rather than at home. Um, They have a dire record against Arsenal at home. But away from home is where they've tended to do damage when they have been able to do damage, if that makes sense. Um, So I don't know if that's a good omen or or something that you want to read into too much ahead of this one. But look, it's one of those fixtures in which Arsenal have been incredibly dominant down the years. Um, And uh, yeah, that's something, of course, to be proud of. It is a London derby, um, but it's one that Arsenal have, uh, have been very, very good in over the years and should be confident, of course, going into this one. Confident, but not arrogant. There's a fine line between those two things, isn't there? If we look at the recent meetings between the two sides, uh, the last one came uh, in the league. That is, of course, we were eliminated from the Carabao Cup earlier this season at West Ham. But if you go back to April of this year, this was a really, really damaging result for Arsenal. It was West Ham 2, Arsenal 2. The Gunners were 2-0 up. And like the game at Liverpool the week before, uh, we surrendered that two-goal lead and put ourselves in a position where we were up against it moving forward in the title race. So. You know, it, it is one that has a, a sort of, I mean, it, it cut deep that one, didn't it? Let's be honest, that, that result really cut deep. That cut way deeper than the Anfield result the week before. Now, I know that we were tuning up in that game and we threw it away there as well. But at Liverpool, you can, I'm not going to say accept it or understand it, but you, you look at it and you go, well, it was Anfield and that can happen. Liverpool are that good a side that that can happen to you. But against West Ham United, we were in a much better moment than them at the time. We were in far better form. And having gone 2-0 up, we just felt... Apologies there. I don't know what happened. My computer just like glitched. But anyway, um, as I was saying, look, we went to Anfield. Um, you know, we got the point there, albeit we should have taken two more. But then to go to West Ham and watch the same thing happen, i.e. us go into a two-goal lead, I think we missed a penalty that day as well. And then see ourselves kind of collapse and fall apart was alarming for me. And that was when I started to think maybe, just maybe, we haven't got what it takes to get over the line here. But hey, uh, damaging result that day. Go back to Boxing Day of last year. Not quite a Boxing Day um fixture this time around but not far off just a couple of days out and we beat West Ham by three goals to one and famously after that game Declan Rice came out and waxed lyrical didn't he about the way that Arsenal play football about how difficult it is to live with us to cope with us and lo and behold uh, a few months down the line he became an Arsenal player go back to the 1st of May 2022 there was a 2-1 win for Arsenal at West Ham Um, I remember being at that game if you go back before that 15th of December a 2-0 win at the Emirates for the Gunners. And if you go back to Sunday, the 21st of March, 2021, there was a really entertaining 3-3 draw. So if you look at that, Arsenal have won three of the last five Premier League meetings between these two sides. There have been two draws at the London Stadium, 2-2 and 3-3. So look, okay, we're, you know, up against a side that I think are going to make it really tough for us. But if you look at the recent history, you know, they haven't beaten us in the last five And again, something we should take encouragement from.
If we look at the form guide, well, Arsenal have three wins from their last five. They have that draw at Anfield being the most recent result. And there was, of course, that 1-0 defeat right in the middle of those five fixtures up at Aston Villa. I've talked about that game time and time again. I think that was a bit of an anomaly in that I thought the performance was more than good enough for us to have at least taken away a point. And it was the same with the game at Newcastle. So the two games that we've lost this season in the Premier League, I don't think it was down to a lack of performance. I just think on those days, you know, for one reason or another, something wasn't clicking or we didn't get the rub of the green. We got the rub of the green at Anfield, you have to say. I know some of you were annoyed that I thought that we were lucky not to have given away a penalty, actually, um, when Martin Odegaard appeared to kind of handle the ball. A lot of you were leaping to his defence saying, you know, well, no, he, he was losing his footing and all the rest of it. I agree that he was losing his foot and I agree that he was off balance. But I just think the way he kind of moved his arm towards the ball rather than straight down onto the ground meant that if it were my team that were given against, I'd have been absolutely living. So I, I do think we were slightly fortunate there. And even if you take that out of the equation, look at the opportunity that they spurned. Look at the chance that they wasted with Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, I mean, wow. You know, a five-on-one attack. That's what it was at the start of that move. And they couldn't finish it. It ended up coming back off the crossbar. We did get the rub of the green. Um, we didn't get it at Villa, but we got it against Liverpool. But look, three wins from our last five, just the one defeat. And of course, a draw at Anfield is always a very respectable result. Look at West Ham. They've also got three wins from their last five. Those victories came over Manchester United, Wolves, and away at Tottenham Hotspur. They did get battered, though, at Fulham by five goals to nil. Not David Moyes' finest hour. They were held to a 1-1 draw at home by Crystal Palace as well uh, a few weeks ago. And look, the thing with the David Moyes sort of, I call it the David Moyes cycle, is that it just feels like people go overboard when they lose or when they don't perform well or when it's dull and boring, but they never really take a step back and look at the situation and give David Moyes the praise that he deserves for having West Ham in a position where they're competing for a European spot, but also, you know, they've won a European trophy. Okay, it's not the Europa League, and of course, it's not the Champions League, fine, but it's still a big trophy for a club like West Ham United. And David Moyes, for me, I think always gets a rough ride from the media generally. And I think that there are some West Ham fans that, you know, are, are like, really flip-floppy in the way that they assess David Moyes' sort of managerial stint and tenure. And I'm only speaking about the ones I know, obviously, but I've got mates that support West Ham who one week think he's the best thing since sliced bread. And the next week, you know, when they draw at home to Crystal Palace and it's a little bit dull, or they go to Fulham and they get beaten quite comprehensively, who go, oh, it's time to get rid of him. But two weeks later, after wins against Wolves and Man United, you're not talking like that anymore. It's just this cycle with David Moyes. Um, and it must drive him absolutely bonkers. If we look at the season so far, Arsenal, of course, in second now because um, Liverpool uh, leapfrogged us at the top of the table. Aston Villa had an opportunity um, to uh, to make up uh, further ground on us as well, but they spurned that despite being 2-0 up at Old Trafford last night at the time of recording. West Ham United are in seventh. They're in a really healthy position to push on for those European spaces. They've won nine games. We've won 12. They've had three draws. We've had four. We've lost twice. They've lost on six occasions. Average goals scored per match. The Gunners sit at 
goals on average scored per match. West Ham United, 1.72. Average goals conceded. Arsenal have the better defensive record. 0.89 of a goal is our average uh, per game. And this is 1.67. We've managed seven clean sheets in comparison to their three. Um, but according to the Premier League's website, and again, I always say this, not really sure how you figure this out. Um, but in terms of chances created, what what constitutes a chance? What doesn't? I don't know exactly, but we're just slightly ahead of them on that. Our biggest win was a 5-0 win over Sheffield United. Our worst defeat was a 1-0 defeat. Uh, we suffered that identical result at Newcastle and at Aston Villa. Their biggest win was a 3-0 win at home to Wolves, but their worst defeat was that 5-0 away defeat at Fulham that I referenced earlier. If we look at top player statistics, look at goals across these two sides, here's a bit of a concern. Maybe is it a concern? Jared Bowen has got more than double what any of our players have managed in the Premier League this season. You can look at this one of two ways. You can either say Jared Bowen's having an incredible season and he deserves a ton of praise, which he does. Or you can say that it's because Arsenal spread the goals out around the team. And I think it is because Arsenal spread the goals out around the team. We don't have that out-and-out -out striker. We've talked about it loads of times before. Some people get irked by it. Some people can't stand it. Some people get frustrated by it. I tend to think that actually the fact that we don't have an over-reliance on one or two players is, um, it is a positive thing. You know, it really, really is to me. But Jared Bowen's enjoying a fine season and we've got to be really, really careful of him. Mohamed Kudus, a player that Arsenal were linked with as well during this summer. He ended up going to West Ham United, has six goals in the league and he has been in irresistible form of late. So he's one to watch out. Third place uh, in terms of top goal scorers in the Premier League across these two sides. Well, it's still Eddie and Ketty. I think Bukayo Saka's joint with him as well uh, on the five. When it comes to assists, um, there's a couple of West Ham players in joint second. Vladimir Souval from right back and Lucas Paqueta, who we're going to talk about in a bit. But Bukayo Saka just has his nose in front on six. When it comes to tackles, it's all West Ham players. Emerson's at number one. Lucas Paqueta's at number two. And Vladimir Souval is at number three. Just a bit of context around that tackles point, because I feel like I always need to kind of add this when we talk about it. Yep, it's great that those players make loads of tackles and it's great that they're combative and that they're winning the ball back for their team or at least trying to win the ball back for their team. But you will get a higher number of tackles in the teams that don't tend to have as much possession. So I'm not necessarily sure that highlighting those players in that way is is as if to say, well, they're great. No, it, it maybe is indicative of the team that they play in. Uh, but that is the statistical preview for Arsenal versus West Ham. We're going to take a really, really short pause. Don't go anywhere. Still to come, my lineup for the game. Also, what to expect from David Moyes' side. We've got loads more to come. And we're going to take some of your questions from the live chat as well. Don't go anywhere. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. 
Okay, what can we expect from David Moyes' West Ham United side? If I close my eyes and I think about what I expect from a David Moyes side, take West Ham United out of the equation, just a David Moyes side in general, I think hard work, I think grit, I think determination, I think organisation, and I think pragmatism. And all of that applies to this West Ham United side. However, they've got a bit more about them these days. And we'll come on to uh, individuals in just a moment. I mean, you look at that side. This is the side that played against Manchester United the other day. Will there be changes? Maybe. Not 100% sure what David Moyes is going to go with if they've picked up any problems or injuries uh, since uh, a few days ago when they played West Ham United, uh, Manchester United, I beg your pardon. But you look at the goalkeeper, Ariola, very experienced goalkeeper. Soufali, we've mentioned, has been a real menace getting forward, but also is a pretty decent defender. Costandinos Mavropanos at centre-back alongside Kurt Zuma. We know quite a bit about Mavropanos, but what I will say is that he's improved since going back to German football um, and, and spending some time there. You look in the midfield, that is a solid, solid midfield core. Edson Alvarez has been a really good signing, I think, alongside Thomas Suchek as well, who you know we've seen in the Premier League now for a number of years. We know what he's all about. You look at the threat that somebody like James Ward-Prowse can offer from a set-piece situation, you look at Kudus and Paqueta playing um, off of Jared Bowen. And I think that's a really, really kind of um, impressive duo there. There's lots of flair there. There's lots of um, running power, lots of dribbling ability, lots of um, guile and creativity. And then Jared Bowen through the middle. You know, that is something that I didn't really think was going to be a real option for David Moyes going into this season. We'd seen him stick him there at times before. Sorry, my phone's going off with Sky News notifications. Apologies. We'd seen Jared Bowen play there as a makeshift centre forward at times before, but I was never convinced that, you know, that was, yeah, the way that um, that that David Moyes was going to proceed with him. Or that that was how he was going to deal with, you know, the the issue that they had at centre forward. I think the interesting thing about this is that somebody like Bowen, who was a winger initially, can easily interchange positions with Mohamed Kudus. He can easily interchange positions with Lucas Paqueta, who's a player that likes to play in central areas. You know, James Ward-Prowse can easily drift out to the right-hand side and get on the ball and cross from deep, you know, and, and he can easily pop up on the left-hand side as well. So I think what's really interesting about that kind of front four that I'm showing you on the screen of Kudus, Ward-Prowse, Paqueta and Bowen is its ability to interchange and its ability to throw you off uh, as a result of that. But as I say, the pieces I've highlighted, solid midfield core. I think they're going to be really combative. They're going to do everything they can to stop us working that through the middle. And they're going to try and force us into the wide areas uh, and play those percentages. Uh, Kudus, you know, Ward-Prowse, Paqueta, all a threat. Bowen through the middle, lots of running power. And you expect Arsenal to play with a high line at home to West Ham United, which will suit Jared Bowen down to a tee. He'll want to play off the shoulder. He'll want to get him behind. He'll want to try and use the grass in front of him between, uh, of course, Arsenal's defensive line and David Raya. And it's important, actually, that David Raya, I think, is, is on the ball on his toes for when West Ham drop those balls over the top, because at times he's going to be required to go out there and clean up. But yeah, those are the things that I've highlighted um, with regards to what we should be looking out from uh, or for from this West Ham United side. Really, really interesting game to come, I'm sure. I think we're going to have to be patient in this one. I really do. I think they're going to frustrate us early on. Um, it is the David Moyes way. And, you know, 
I'm not even criticizing it, man. It's just, it's just the way he does things. And over the years, it's worked more than it hasn't. And, and that would be his argument. I know it's not always thrilling and I know it's not always brilliant. Like I know if you look at the Man United game that they played the other day, I know that up until the point they broke the deadlock, it was a pretty damp squib of an encounter. Like neither side were particularly creative. Neither side looked like they were going to break the deadlock. It was really dull. It was really boring. It was dead, dead. But when you've got players of the quality of Kudus, Ward-Prowse, Paketar, Bowen, you can hurt people. And that's why you always need to be wary of sides like West Ham United, because when they play against sides like Arsenal, invariably they'll be the side that have less of the ball. Invariably, they'll be the ones that are looking to hit on the counter-attack. And they won't get that many opportunities. But when you've got that level of quality, there's always a great chance you take those opportunities. And that can sometimes be enough if you defend well and you have that solid core, particularly in the middle of your team. And in Mavropanos, Zuma, Alvarez and Suchek, they've got a, a sort of a, a sort of foursome there that are more than capable of getting stuck in and making it really, really difficult. Um, so, yeah, those are my thoughts on David Moyes' side ahead of tomorrow night's game. OK, let's move it on to my starting 11 to face West Ham United. Of course, Arsenal are without Kai Havertz, um, which means that we're going to have to make a change in midfield. I've gone with Raya in goal. I thought Raya had a good game up at Anfield in terms of doing the basics really, really well and right. And I was impressed by what I saw of him uh, on the day. My back four would be White, Saliba, Gabriel and Zinchenko. Again, we don't have another option at left back, but at home, um, despite the threat of Mohamed Kudus, I would like to see Zinchenko play anyway. So I would have picked him had Tommy been fit, had Timber been fit, because I feel like against the midfield like West Ham's, it's going to be important that we do get our foot on the ball um, and that you know we play through them and around them. And Zinchenko gives us that ability to do that. Um, in midfield, I've brought Jorginho into the picture um, and I've pushed Declan Rice on into that slightly more advanced position. Obviously, there'll be a responsibility on Declan Rice to get back and help Jorginho and to fill in um, and to help deal with the attack that West Ham have. And, and you know, at times with Rice in the left eight position, he'd be able to go slightly wider, I think, and support Zinchenko in the dealing with, for example, Mohamed Kudus. Um, some people would have put Leandro Trossard in there and that's fine. That's a fair enough opinion to have. I just don't subscribe to it myself personally. And the reason I don't subscribe to it personally is because I think back to the game we played at the London Stadium earlier this season, albeit in the Carabao Cup, and I thought he got bullied that day. Um, I think having him and Odegaard in a land, uh, in a, uh, in up against the land of the Giants midfield is kind of asking for trouble. Kai Havertz brings you that flair, the creativity, the ability to make runs into the box, but he's also a unit of a man, uh, which helps you to kind of strike that balance when you come up against physical opposition. If you put Leandro Trossard in there, I don't think it has the same effect. So I've gone Jorginho, Odegaard and Rice. Kai Havertz is suspended, for those of you suggesting that I should put him in um, into my team. He is suspended, having picked up five yellow cards, so we're without him. Um, Saka will play uh, on the right for me, Martinelli on the left, and Gabriel Jesus through the middle. Seiki asks in the chat if, um, if Jorginho is fit to play. Well, he was back in the squad for the game against Liverpool. So I can assume that he's fit enough to play. If Mikel Arteta does go with Leandro Trossard, maybe it's because um, he's not 100% sure 
about Jorginho's fitness. But as far as I'm aware, he is fit enough to be part of the squad. Therefore, he should be fit enough to be part of the starting lineup in theory. But we'll see. We'll see, of course. So that is my lineup. Let me just reiterate it for those that are listening on audio. Raya in goal. White, Saliba, Gabriel, Zinchenko across the back. Jorginho, Odegaard and Rice in midfield. Saka, Martinelli on either flank with Gabriel Jesus through the middle. Just a quick one as well. I'm not actually working on the game tomorrow. I'm not covering the game for radio. I am heading down to Emirates Stadium for the first time since the North London derby as a supporter. So I'm going to be in the North Bank um, where I belong. I'm going to be in Block 6, uh, Row 16, if anyone wants to come and say hi. Um, I always bump into so many of you when I go to the game. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, I'm going to be back uh, in and amongst it. And I'm really, really looking forward to that. I'm going to head down with my brother, grab a couple of drinks for the game, just chill out and enjoy it. Um, and I've got no responsibilities after the game either. Can head home, which means you might, you might just get a podcast really late that night. And I'll tell you why. Ordinarily, I'd do it the next morning. But the reason I might do it that night, and I'm not promising, but there's a good chance I will, is because I have a wedding the following day. Um, best man duties calling a Greek wedding, which starts from the morning. Um, and I don't think I'll get time to do it on the Friday. So I'd rather do it late and have a slightly later night and make sure that you guys have it for Friday to enjoy and take in. Um, but yeah, there's a chance that I'll be doing it really late. Then I don't know, maybe 11, 1130 uh, live PM UK time that is here on the channel. And of course, that'll be available wherever you get your podcasts. OK, let's move on to Harry's prediction. I'm going to go for Arsenal 1, West Ham United nil. Yeah, that's what I'm going for. Um, I, I think that we will prevail. Um, I think that we will get through it. I think that we will pick up another three points, but I don't think it's going to be easy. And I think it's one of those games where we're going to have to be really, really patient, make sure that we don't make any silly mistakes. And it's going to be decided by, I'm sure, the finest of margins, which is why I couldn't give you a score with more than one goal in it. So that's what I'm going with. Arsenal won, West Ham United nil. Let me know yours. Uh, in the uh, the live chat, and I'll take some of those and read them out in just a second. Okay, Q and A time. Let's have some of your questions. Start chucking them in the live chat box. I think there's a few in there already that I'll pick out, uh, and we're going to do that right after this very very brief pause. Don't go anywhere. Okay, let's have a look. I can see a lot of you disagree with me um, with the uh, the idea of. Jorginho playing uh, in the side. Uh, what's the alternative? Leandro Trossard, do people, uh, I'm, and I'm asking this question, you know, feel free to shoot me down. Let me know your thoughts and I'll read them out on the podcast. No problem whatsoever. Do people really think that Leandro Trossard in midfield has worked when we've seen it in the past? Because I don't think it has. I, I, I really don't. I, I'm not feeling Trossard in that position. I'm just not. I think when he plays on the left, he gives us something slightly different to Gabriel Martinelli. And I think when he comes off the bench, he's proven to be really effective in terms of giving us something, you know, that that, that causes the defender to have something slightly more to think about in terms of guile, creativity, rather than it just being about blood and thunder races and duels and challenges with Gabriel Martinelli. But I just, Trossard in that left eight position for me, it, it, it's just not, it's not ideal. I don't think anyway. Um, Harry says, I would like to see Emil Smith-Rowe. I would, and I would rather see Emil Smith-Rowe than Leandro Trossard. But I don't know if Emil Smith-Rowe will be deemed ready 
to start this one. I mean, he's been back in training for a long time. You know, he's come off the bench a couple of times. Maybe he is. If he is, let's do it. But again, he's one for me who in that left central midfield position, the left eight position, is also um, a bit of a... There's also question marks over. Let me put it that way. I, I really do think that. I really, really do. Um, Kenny says, uh, what was your dance step when Unai Emery lost to United? Well, I'm never going to celebrate a Manchester United win, am I? Um, but there was a part of me that was sitting there going, well, these are all of the things that I've been saying about Aston Villa for a few weeks in terms of the way they defend, the high line, the risks that that brings. All of that stuff is being exposed. Nobody listened to me. Everybody told me I was an idiot. Um, you wouldn't believe some of the messages I had from Villa fans. Um, and I know it's not Villa fans in general. It's a few idiots online. But if you see some of the messages I got, it was it was a madness. And, and they watched their team go 2-0 up and then ultimately capitulate and concede three goals against a side who couldn't hit a barn door um, this season so far in terms of what their forwards have produced. So I feel a little bit vindicated. I'm not going to say I was jumping, but I, I feel a little bit vindicated. Jid says, scapegoating Jorginho before he even plays. Every player has cost Arsenal at some point. Why Jorginho's cost is singled out is funny. I agree with you. I think some of the discourse around Jorginho is just, I think when he's come in this season, he's been very good. He's been very, very solid. I think he's partly looked better this season because he's had Declan Rice to help him. Um, and it's not like we're leaving him as a lone six all of the time. Yeah, he is the six. But he's had lots of support from the players around him. And you've got Gabriel Saliba behind him and Rice alongside him. That makes the world of difference to somebody like Jorginho. So with Rice in the team, I don't have any major concerns about Jorginho playing. I don't think anybody else should either. Um... Ambrose says Emil Smith-Rowe would be the best bet in that midfield position because Jorginho doesn't have the legs for this one. Um, the Jordi Guna says, are you hoping to see Emil Smith-Rowe or Reese get some decent game time with all the injury? I read they've only played 181 minutes between them in the last two years. I wouldn't be surprised if that's true, mate. I've not checked that out, but, um, you know, you want to see them get given opportunities. I think Reese Nelson has to move on this summer. I think that... For a Mill Smith throw, I'd be willing to give him one. For Smith Rowe, I'd be willing to give him one more chance just because I know how incredibly talented he is. We've all seen it, but at some point you've got to make a decision there as well. And um, yeah, it's gonna be um it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be interesting. Um Damien Kelly says Smith Rowe won't be ready, but Jorginho will. Harry, you are just safe and boring. I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'll tell you what I'm going to do, mate, um, because I'm just safe and boring. Let's have a look at how many minutes um, Jorginho has played in, the, in in all competitions this year and compare that to Emil Smith-Rose. Jorginho has played 24% of all of our minutes in um, in the Premier League this season, right? 24% okay, of our total minutes in the Premier League. I'm not even factoring in the other competitions because... You know, that would be difficult for me to do off the top of my head. Guess how many Emil Smith-Rowe's played in, in terms of percentage? 7%. He has played in 7% of our total Premier League minutes. Jorginho has played way more football than him. Jorginho had an injury that kept him out for one game on the weekend. And the following weekend, he was back in the squad and a part of it again. Emil Smith-Rowe has been through surgery this season, has hardly kicked a football um, uh, in terms of match situations. 
it's absolutely within reason and absolutely valid to say that Jorginho is more likely to be up to speed with the pace and power of a Premier League game right now than Emil Smith-Rowe is. And that is a fact. That is a fact. Um, Jid says just on the, the Trossard thing, Harry, the Trossard shout is because fans prefer to see their favourites play than go for what makes sense or what's best for the team. It's cutting your nose off to spite your face situation. Uh, what else have we got? Um, what else have we got here? Um, Wondering Minstrel is cooking and listening. Anything good? Um, I might be around, mate. I might be around. <laughs> uh, what else have we got? Russ Morgan on the Jorginho thing as well. says so some people clearly still have that ex-Chelsea player stigma with regards to Jorginho. 100%. 100%. Um, it's, yeah, it, it's baffling to me that people think that that Jorginho is going to be massively off it because he missed one game, but Emil Smith-Rowe's hardly kicked the football all season is going to be bang on it. I, I get the, the want to see Smith-Rowe play. I get that. I want him to play as well. But I just wonder if this is the kind of game where you would throw him in. I think there are games that will probably be a little bit less taxing in terms of the physical demands. And I think those are the games in which you probably see Emil Smith-Rowe giving opportunities while he's still working himself back up to full fitness and back up to speed. I mean, he's been back for a little while, but again, he's hardly had a sniff. So what makes you think that Mikel's going to throw him in now? I don't know. I don't know. Um, ben, on the when I said about why people would think that Smith Rowe's okay, but Jorginho is not, he says one of them is nearly 10 years older. That's why. Yeah, but look at look at their injury records. Look at their injury records, you know? I mean, let's compare the ages of... Leroy Sane and Cristiano Ronaldo, which one of them has been in better condition and played more football over the course of his career? And which one of them spent a long, long time out on the sidelines and is only after a long period of time starting to show his best form again because of that? You know, sometimes your body can let you down regardless of your age. That's how it goes. That's how it goes. Um, okay. What else have we got in the chat? We'll pick up one or two uh, more uh, before I say my goodbyes. Uh, Moss says, Rice has to be fired up, eh, Harry, with West Ham doing so well in the table and using the money for the players that he's up against. Look, I think Declan Rice remained incredibly respectful to West Ham throughout the process, throughout um, throughout the transfer. I think he's always spoken about them in really glowing terms. I think a lot of them took umbrage with the fact that it seems like, obviously, the talks with Arsenal were going on for a little while. Um, people have been recycling that interview he gave after that Boxing Day fixture last season in which he spoke glowingly about the football that Arsenal play and all the rest of it. And they say, look, he had his mind on Arsenal from then, blah, blah, blah. He did captain them to go on and win a trophy after that. So to me, that's a load of nonsense. I understand that as a West Ham fan, it must hurt to see a player of that quality join a London rival and just be an instant hit, an instant success. But you have to say, you know, and in the past, we've seen a lot of teams sell, um, you know, big, big players for big, big money, get a load of money in and then spend that irresponsibly, throw it down the toilet, essentially, and put themselves in a place where, um, you know, they're actually worse off. I don't think you can say that about West Ham. I think they've spent that money really, really wisely, actually. And they've put themselves into, in terms of league position, a better place than they were last season, I would argue, at times. So, yeah, I think that West Ham 
fans don't need to be bitter, but I understand why it would hurt and it would hurt me if it were the other way around. But they've got to get over it because to me, Declan Rice hasn't disrespected them in any way. If he was to score tomorrow, I wouldn't expect him to celebrate. Genuinely, I don't think he would. I, I really don't. Omar says he's already played against West Ham in the Carabao Cup. Yes, he has. And there was a mixed reception that night. Some were, were cheering him, clapping him. Others were booing him. He's going to get mixed reception from West Ham fans going forward. But I just, I think sometimes you just have to accept where you are as a football club. And West Ham, you know, yeah, they, they were in a good spot. They won the Europa Conference League and all the rest of it. But the ceiling at West Ham is so much lower than what it is at a club like Arsenal. And you can understand why he wanted to move on. I've heard others say, well, if he really wanted to win things and win trophies, he could have gone to Manchester City and it would have been way more guaranteed. Yeah, maybe it would have been more guaranteed. But that is a soulless football club, man. That is a, a football club where you're not going to get the same feeling that you do when you pull on the Arsenal shirt. You're not going to come out to the same adoring fans. It's just, yeah, it's it's a totally different thing, you know. It's a totally different thing. He believed in the project. He believed in what Mikel Arteta sold him, essentially what Arsenal sold him as a football club. And he made the move, um, you know, and and here he is and he's doing great and, and everybody should just be happy for him, I think. <laughs> Easy to say as an Arsenal fan. AJM Voice says, Harry, on a bit of a side note, do you fancy Everton against City tonight? Um, it's hard to say that I fancy Everton um, because I've I've looked at them at times and thought brilliant. I've looked at them at times and thought really, really underwhelming. I fancy Everton to make it tough for City and, you know, you don't know what the travel and, and all the rest of it from the Club World Cup, what the effect's been there. You know, City have played a couple of games recently in that competition, but the intensity really low in comparison to what they'll face at Goodison Park, the, the physicality, all the rest of it. I hope that Everton can leave a mark on them, but whether they can or not remains to be seen. It, if I were a betting man, I'd be going for Man City, but there's no reason why Everton can't get something. And if they could, that would be... Really, really positive, wouldn't it? Really positive. Right, guys, I am going to leave it there. Thank you all so, so much for joining me for another episode of the Big Match Preview here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Don't forget to like. Don't forget to subscribe. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow morning with some transfer chat. Uh, we'll um, we'll go through that article that Gunner Blog put out, James McNicholas, and we'll pick out some of those stories and just have a little bit of a chat around them. I'm not going to talk about you know, the validity of them because I don't have any information to either back them up or 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 try to, not that I would, but, you know, to say that they're not true or anything like that. But I'd quite like to go through them and share some thoughts on each of those because I think there's some interesting nuggets from that piece that I've seen floating around on Twitter today. So we'll do that tomorrow morning. Um, and then, of course, we'll be back as soon as we possibly can after the full-time whistle tomorrow night to bring you some reaction to the game against West Ham United. Don't go anywhere. Like, subscribe, share, all the rest of it, and I'll see you all tomorrow. Until then, take care. Goodbye. Goodbye.